0: Hey guys, it's GM Brev, and I just want to say I never listen to the Order 66 podcast unless I'm on it.
1: <laughs> Hi, this is DM Kate from Radio Free Hamlet, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast.
2: D20 Radio, your gamers roll www.b20radio.com Execute Order 66
3: It's Sunday, 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 May 4th, 2008. We're here for episode number 16 of the Order 66 podcast. This is a dangerously distracted
1: GM Dave. Dangerously distracted. Well, this is a a dangerously caffeinated GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? Hope everything finds you guys well. How are you doing, Dave?
3: I'm doing good. I have one eye on the podcast show notes, and I have one eye... On a hockey game that just went to the first intermission, Dallas. Your Dallas Stars are tied with San Jose Sharks 0-0. Zero, zero.
1: Yeah, you got to be careful. You know, we have a lot of international listeners, and uh, Dallas and hockey are not two words that are commonly looked upon nicely in the hockey community at large.
3: Uh, um, we're going to the Stanley Cup Finals.
1: Yes! Uh, hey, well, I, I, I hope so. And uh, just you know, before you guys start sending us just awful hockey hate mail, I am half a Canuck. My mother is Canadian and I was a huge fan of this franchise hey. back when they were still in Minnesota, so uh, no, no, no hate please there.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, nothing from Minnesota, eh? Yeah, hey, you know? Nothing from
1: Minnesota, no. Yeah, hey, hey. You know?
3: And to all our <laughs> friends in Detroit who we will see in the Western Conference Finals, blow me.
1: Blow me hard. Hard. Yep, hard.
3: That's my college yes. vocabulary word that I learned, blow me. It's one word, six letters. Really? Was it SATs? Yeah. Whoa. Hey, that was a Skype screw up. That was pretty good. What'd you say? Uh, nothing. I said, was it on the SATs? I don't know if it was on the SAT or not, but you know.
1: Oh, very cool. <laughs> Well, we have a pretty good show for you guys this week. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to be delving into a prestige class that a lot of you have expressed some thoughts and interest in. Uh, kind of one of the oddballs in the group, which is, of course, the Crime Lord. And we're going to be talking a lot about that today. But we're also going to be delving, to begin with, into a little bit of mail. Are we not, Dave? I believe we are. But first, hold on. Let me stop down the show. You guys heard
3: a bumper from our newly upcoming show, Radio Free Hamlet. This is from DM Kate. Who is going to be one of the co hosts of the show, along with uh, DM Jackson, DM Tim, and
1: DM. David. Uh, Dave. David. That's right. Yes. That's uh, DM, not GM. DM, so Dave, not no, no, GM. Confusion yes, no confusion there. But a lot of you who may have been to our forums may have seen the announcement for this, but we are having another podcast join the D20 Radio Network, and this is Radio Free Hamlet. And uh, any grogs out there will recognize the reference to the old module of uh, the Temple of Elemental Evil. Very cool. Uh, but this podcast is going to be devoted entirely to the up-and-coming 4th edition D&D. And when's their first episode coming out, Dave? It's like just a couple weeks, isn't it? They are shooting for May the 18th, another Sunday podcast and
3: (laughs) yes so we cannot wait we need to we're still trying to work out the technical whatever's to try and get their feed to line up on our feed and this and that but um you know we're gonna we'll have it worked out here within the next 10 days or so and they should begin recording and be ready to go i think they've got a full slate of shows already lined up for their first what 16 episodes i think they're they're way better than we are we kind (laughs) of we kind of let the listeners kind of guide our way through d20 docking bay at least and you know It's a good thing that they're so well-prepared, because we definitely are not.
1: No, we're not. I'm anxious to see how the preparation goes, though. That's right, Tim. I'm talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be very interested to see if you guys can uh, stick with that level of prep when you have listeners banging down your door. And you're welcome to bang down their door, as well as our door, at our forums, which is located at d20radio.com slash forum where you're welcome to become a member of the gamer nation and post your mind not only about our podcast order 66 but also we have threads and boards up right there for radio free homelet so uh please guys get on there get to the forums and get your voice heard and you can also email us can you not dave that you can gm dave
3: at d20 radio.com gm chris at d20 radio.com and they're not up yet but they will be here in just a second, probably, I'd say by Tuesday. We will have emails for DM Kate, DM Jackson, DM Chris, I mean, I'm
1: sorry, DM Tim, and
3: DM David at d20radio.com. Yes,
1: so you guys can also email them as well. And you're, of course, welcome to leave us a uh, voicemail uh, for the Order 66 podcast on the Lusa line Lusa. at 206-600-5872-LUSA, where you can leave us wonderful questions uh, for mail call or uh, quips, uh, whinings, complainings, and, of course, bumpers. Uh, I never listened to the Order 66 podcast, which That's we right. absolutely love to get. So give us a call, shoot us an email, sign up for the forums, get your voice heard. We are happy to put your nasally, potentially pimply and whiny voice on the air with ours. That's right.
3: So, now to get back to your previous point, sir. Mm. Let's go. All right, well, scumbag, pay attention. It's time for mail call. Whoo!
1: Well, first on the mail call list, um, I, I do happen to have a postcard in my hand, and uh, it's, it's, it's rather beautiful. T- take a look at
3: this. See, here you're telling me that I fired off the, wrong, the drop at the wrong time again. Because I'm a dork.
1: But it's okay. It's still mail call. It is. It's just fake mail. (laughs) I mean, uh, mean, real mail uh, from our good friend, Commander Cody, who has... yeah, it's real mail. Real mail. It's real mail. Real mail, yes. And he appears to have sent us a beautiful postcard. Um, it looks like it's uh, a sort of laminated blue uh, backing with just a gorgeous picture of a beautiful planet on it. It looks like a, a marble of just green and blue and white. Just an absolutely gorgeous world. And it says, uh, enjoy the natural beauty and grace of Alderaan.
3: Alderaan. Alderaan. You know, that bothers me just a little bit because... Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, well. We'll see. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody.
0: Greetings from the Core Worlds, guys. The past few days have seen my platoon assigned to Alderaan, a true jewel of the galaxy. In all my travels, I've yet to see such a place. Vast forests, grasslands, Inland Seas, they're all unspoiled by the civilization here. Doesn't compare to the beauty of battle, but it's pretty close. Even with all the people here, the natural lands are untouched. I hear that Grand Morph Tarkin had to throw his weight around just to get us a landing permit outside the city for our troop transports. Well, we're here this week because Grand Morph Tarkin has given our unit, along with several others, Secretive orders to track down several high-ranking Imperial officers and other friends of the Empire and secretly smuggle them off world I'm not sure why but the chance to see more and more of this beautiful planet each day makes it all worth it There are days guys I'm so proud to be part of the Grand Army of the Republic I get to see such beautiful sights and do the honor of serving the Empire Life is good Especially today they got pudding for dessert in the clone mess hall. I love pudding Well, I really suggest you two make it out to Alderaan real soon. You'll love it.
2: Long live the Empire.
0: Your friend, Commander Cody.
3: Okay, so smuggling people off of Alderaan, huh?
1: You know, that's his point of view. He's most likely apprehending criminals, maybe even some of those awful terrorists that have been threatening separation from the Empire.
3: Oh, so bad.
1: Yeah, I know. You know, clearly, I mean, you know, obviously he's doing he's doing an excellent job, you know, as, of course, the the, the clone troopers are. And we they should be commended for the fine work they they do in the Grand Army of the Republic, you know, just ensuring our safety in the galaxy. (laughs) You said do. (sighs) In any event, Cody, thank you for the postcard. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, and now for real now, sit back down and shut your trap. It's time for mail call! See, it's a good thing I have two of those. I sense deja vu. Ah, yes. All over again. All over again. We have quite a bit of mail call this week. Um, we I guess we bullied you guys last week for not sending us enough, so you responded with a tirade of email and uh, a little bit of voicemail and some forum postings this past week. A so venerable, we have quite a few things to go over.
3: A venerable bevy of activity. A
1: venerable bevy. Now, we got a, a phone Dose. call, didn't we?
3: Uh, yeah, we did. You want to fire it off first? Oh, yeah. From the gaming table, no less. This is the kind of stuff we love. Hey, guys, this is Full On Gamer. I've got a question straight from the game table, and we're trying to keep fists from flying, so hopefully you can get me an answer quickly. Use the force checks for block and deflect. I know that they reduce the use the force check by five for each consecutive or cumulative use of them within the same round. The question is, because they didn't specify the word any, in front of use the force check as far as talking about the penalties and the block or deflect talents, does the use the force check later on in the round for anything else you're planning on doing also get lowered by that penalty, or is it specifically a reduction of five for use the force check specifically to block or deflect within the same round?
1: Hopefully you can have an answer for us soon. Thank you much. Out here.
3: There you go. We actually have this on the forum going right now, don't we?
1: yeah he, he did he posted it up right there as well and um I, I gave an answer that I'm gonna go ahead and just give right here as well um basically to kind of summarize i, I guess what I, to kind of summarize what you're asking basically um if you're using the blocker deflect talent you have to make a use the force check each time to use it and obviously that the dc is is the attack roll you're, you're you're going against but that um dc increases by five each time you use blocker defect in in a round basically and you're wanting to know if uh the the, the it's not really a d- an increase of the dc it's a minus five after you use the force check. You're wanting to know if that goes for all use the force checks you make in the round, aside from just the ones for block and deflect. So, um, I really did some searching on this, Full on Gamer, and um, there's nothing nothing raw, nothing official uh, about it. But just from my readings of it, and just 1GM's interpretation... I don't think it would reduce all of your use-the-force checks that round, just the ones used to, to block and deflect. Okay, Now, when you read the block-deflect talent descriptions on page 41 of the core rulebook, it speaks of the minus 5 on your use-the-force check in relation to meeting the DC of the block or deflect only, and that's in the same sentence. Okay, so I think it would be a real stretch to call it elsewhere. And to think about it from a more realistic perspective, or I guess, <laughs> gamist perspective, Um, Let's say I'm a Jedi, and I'm fighting a whole bunch of bad guys by myself. Now, if during a round, my round, I can activate Surge, Battle Strike, and Force Slam, and move, and then when my round's over, I can rebuke, I can negate energy, and then I can start deflecting and blocking. If all that Force use before my first deflect or block didn't give me a penalty to do so, then deflecting or blocking a couple times isn't going to give me a penalty to using the Force in other ways later in the round. Does that make sense? Um, you do it do to me. So that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I think about it. Uh, maybe a good way to, to talk about talk to your players about it, and that's kind of the kind of the rule that I'm pretty much going with there. So, meh, my two credits.
3: Very good, Ribero. Uh, Ribero just missed. Had a great shot, and he missed.
1: Now, 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 Dave, Dave, Dave. Still 15-46 zero, zero,
3: to go in the second period.
1: Focus. Okay. Focus, one. Excuse me. Focus our next uh, letter comes from Outlaw Night Zero Um, he actually posted this on the forums and he basically said I don't think I've seen a thread on this so what comes first the heroic class or the non-heroic class and basically he posted up um, a really cool build in our forums for a droid shield warden which basically served as kind of a bodyguard and uh, to really help the droid out on hit points he was going to give it one level in soldier and two levels in a non-heroic he put the soldier level first followed by the two levels in non-heroic and he wanted to know basically can I do this okay well, okay, Z, um, my friend, no official verdict has been made, and I did search. But scouring raw in a couple places would seem to indicate that heroism is a one way trip. Uh, Multi class rules for the heroic classes, which are on page 54, of the core.
3: Yeah. yeah, baby. I'm not going to be able to do this. Miet Ninja Scored from Sergey Zubov at 449. Thank you. Mm, very <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, sorry. Multi class, go ahead. I don't know where I was I'm totally lost I have totally lost track at this point you said that uh, non-heroic or heroic only kind of went one way oh is that what I said are you
1: sure you were listening I don't know I
3: I was listening I just happened to see you know my man Zuboff Impatient is he oh
1: will he finish what he started
3: (laughs) that's a good Yoda
1: thank you (laughs) okay okay Z back to what I was saying um, page 54 of the core rulebook it doesn't mention the ability to multi-class into non-heroic levels but if you turn to non-heroic multi-classing which is on page 278 of the core rulebook that states specifically a non-heroic character can multi-class into a heroic class but it doesn't say anything about the other way around um, this kind of makes sense too if you think about it once you're a hero you don't go back to being a zero okay now is this official? No. Is it my interpretation of the rules? Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah to me. Um. Also and this is kind of a bit more telling, if you look at the pre-made enemies with heroic and non-heroic levels that are in the core rulebook, and you take time to pick apart their hit points, it's very clear that none of them started heroic, then went non-heroic. They all started with non-heroic levels, then went to their heroic ones. So, take from that what you will. Next question. Who's it from, Dave? What's next?
3: Uh, Nightfall 2021. Oh, yeah, this was was pretty basic. I will paraphrase. Oh,
1: please paraphrase.
3: What are the penalties to attack when you're trying to use your ranged weapon in melee combat, if any? He knows previous editions of D&D have had this rule. knows precise shot feed allows you to shoot into uh, an ally's melee combat. Does it affect you if you're shooting someone currently engaged in you in melee combat? And the reason he's asking is because he had a situation where one of his players stormed a boarding ramp on... Lambda, on a, on a Lambda class, Lambda class shuttle, and proceeded to get into CQB, basically, with um, some ISB agents. They weren't that powerful, but there were a bunch of them, and so they stopped using their blasters due to the range and started to use their stun batons. Uh, another player followed suit, tried to fight them as best he could with a boot knife, compared to, you know, which did little damage compared to his blaster. And the other one, who was a gunslinger, completely ignored the fact that he had two guys trying to grapple with him and continued to use his blaster. So, his question for the second player, should he have taken a penalty for trying to shoot into his own melee combat, he, being the GM that he is, made an onside decision and gave him a minus four penalty to using, common to using a ranged attack while engaged in melee or unarmed combat player did not understand my reasoning even when i physically demonstrated how hard it is to bring a pistol to bear when someone's literally on top of you beating you with a stick is it a fair assumption or did i miss a rule somewhere let me go ahead and get the horn ready
1: go ahead and get the horn ready you can uh yeah unfortunately nightfall you are incorrect sir And, you know, I know know, know, I'm I'm a person with a little bit of firearms training myself. Um, Nothing military or law enforcement, but a little bit. And, yeah, yeah, seriously, I mean, I can see what you're talking about. Realistically, when someone's bearing down on you, you want to bring a a pistol to bear on them or a gun, it's really hard to do. But mechanically speaking, ranged weaponry is really very common in this game and very key to the Star Wars universe. Nerfing it in such a way would be pretty bad. Um, It would also make lightsabers that much more badass. You know, melee monsters would just... Just pone or or cune <laughs> <laughs> um, any any uh, range character out there this way, so they kind of did away with it so let 's talk about shooting at an opponent uh, sh- shooting at a, at a an enemy when you are in melee with him um, first of all uh if an, if you do shoot into melee combat, you do incur a minus five penalty on your attack roll, not a minus uh, four which you mentioned which was the case in and a revised core rules as well as d and d and many folks confuse them. Um, And the precise shot feat does negate this penalty. But if you're shooting at a target that does not have one of your allies adjacent to him, aside from yourself, you won't incur that penalty anyway. Okay, so you're not going to incur a penalty simply firing into your own melee unless another ally was also in the melee with you. Okay, does that make sense? The the penalty basically comes from being careful not to hit your ally. You're not going to hit yourself with your blaster. So if you're the only one in melee, you don't take a penalty. Um, this is detailed more specifically on page 161 of the core rulebook in the shooting or throwing into melee section. Um, likewise, your NPCs really have no reason to put away their blasters and pull out stun batons. I mean, if they're engaged in melee, um, and this is another common mistake I've seen made. I mean, stun batons exist to give melee characters a way to stun people. Plus, they're very cheap. <laughs> so, uh, blast away, man, blast happy. That's kind of the, the ruling there, and I hope that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what
3: else? Here,
1: I got what another else? one. I got another one. Oh, go, go ahead, please.
3: From Glacialis. And th- this is a guy, actually, who, uh, who takes his name from the male enhancement drug. <laughs> which, except that his, his particular form moves very, very slowly. or at a glacial oh. pace, I might add. Oh, okay. Hence, so. Glacialis. So, he, apparently, he's not, a, not in a real big hurry <laughs> with his woman. Anyway, here's a po- Also posted on our forum. So, some of you have probably seen it. Some not. But, anyway, here's a question for you Mr. GM Chris. Can more than two ships engage in a dogfight? Cinematically I'd say yes, but the rules are not clear and do not seem helpful. So, mm.
1: what do we got? Well, first of all guys, um I'd like to encourage you to email GM Dave at d20radio.com and please insult his manhood. Copy oh. me on it. Um I'd like to hear it, <laughs> uh, but uh, basically, in terms of your question, uh, one of our posters, Fallon Gamer, who actually uh, left us a voicemail earlier, uh, he took a stab at this on the forums, and, and fr- frankly, I agree with him. Um, it's not only possible, but I'd say a damn good tactic to engage multiple fighters in a dogfight. Um, and although if you do run your combats on a two D game mat, like most of us, I mean, then a ship can only be in a dogfight with you know max eight enemies, which kind of lends a lot of credence to fighter formations, eh? <laughs> eh. Hey. But uh dog fighting is the space equivalent of grappling. And I remember, you know, in uh one a prior episode when we spoke about, you know, really getting into space combat, so much of of the space combat rules in uh the Saga edition are really analogous to a lot of the the ground combat individual combat rules. And dog fighting is analogous to grappling. And just like grappling where multiple foes can enter into it, multiple fighters should be able to enter into a dogfight. Um I think this might be an instance where the lack of a rule becomes as big a block as the rule itself. Look, RAW, it doesn't say that you can have multiple ships in a dogfight. We can't find any dev ruling or any Jedi counseling on it either. But RAW doesn't say that you can't have multiple ships in a dogfight either. And it, it's clear. I mean, after talking with you know Jedi Master Rodney Thompson, you know, or uh, you know, several shows ago, and and just really seeing the design principles of this system, there's an amount of common knowledge I just want you to bring to the table. Okay, can Gungans blink? Are you sure well, wait, the rules don't say they can blink. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I mean, okay, I that's a really absurd example, okay? But, I mean, the designers have made it clear they want to follow the KISS principle and make this easy to deal with. And as such, it makes kind of the most sense to compare this to the closest analogous rule in the game, grappling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, realistically, it makes sense that multiple fighters should be able to enter into a dogfight. It's, it's, it's uh, cinematic, it's realistic, and it makes for great tactics. So, why not? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, we do actually have a couple more pieces of mail, but darn it, uh, we're going to save them for next week.
3: (laughs) Yes, 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 we are. Because they actually relate to the D20 we got planned.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, I know a full-on gamer had another one. We're gonna we're gonna save as a juicy nugget of goodness for our next episode, and we've had a couple others as well. So, guys, thank you for sending us all your questions. And if you guys have a question relating to the rules or anything else of that matter you like an opinion on, you're welcome to email us, uh, gmdave Dave at d20radio.com, GM Chris at d20radio.com, call the Lucille line, or just join the forums and post it out there. We're happy to get it on the air. Answer then we will. Oh. Answer then we will. Oh. Then interrupt <laughs> about hockey. <laughs> Although. <laughs> I will say it was a worthy interruption. I was watching out of the corner of my eye. That was a bad-ass goal.
3: Hey, you know, that's the way it is, man. San Jose is on the power play, 11-38 to go, but your Dallas Stars out shooting the San Jose Sharks 13-12.
1: <laughs> They're my Dallas Stars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave, buddy, you know where they don't have hockey? Uh,
3: let me guess. They don't have it on <gasps> Hoth. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going no, the wrong way. With that. Hoff, they got lots of hockey on Hoffman. They got lots of Hoffman. That's right. That's true. Wampas, that's
1: true. Wampas are awesome keepers, man.
3: <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess Tatooine.
1: They don't have hockey on Tatooine. Oh, and yes. I should know because I went there this week to go for Watto's huge special sale, and I came back here with something that's reasonably neat. That's what your mother said, Trebek.
0: This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tattoo-In this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know?
1: Uh... Okay, Dave. I came back from Watto's with a power recharger. A dude. And... Uh, yeah, it's just kind of a small unit. Take a look at this thing, man. It looks kinda of like a Cuisinart. art.
3: It's small. It doesn't cost very much.
1: No, it really doesn't. And basically when you when you absolutely, positively have to use every power pack you've got, you best pick up one of these. Uh, I mean honestly man, for for the cost and the weight, there's really not one single reason that a heavy weapon specialist or an auto fire maniac should ever be without one of these. How much does it cost, Dave? What is it? 100 credits at your local store. 100 credits. That's that's the cost of four power packs. Yeah. Wow. So So for the cost of four power packs, you can pick up this little one kilo unit that holds enough juice on its own to recharge 100 power packs. And um, there's a little, little little thing on the back here I can see. It's actually got about multiple voltage and inputs. If you really don't want to drain the charge off of it directly, you can actually hook it up to most ships and buildings and simply draw from their power source. Yeah. Um, pretty damn cool. Uh, the downside, it does take four hours to recharge a single power pack or energy cell. Um, honestly, I'm not sure why they mention energy cells in the description since they never effectively run out of power via game-wise, but hey, it's nifty fluff. Okay. <laughs> um, but this essentially means you can charge up two spent power packs during a good night's sleep of eight hours. Um, and during a space flight, which could take takes an average of three days, and that's with a good hyperdrive, um, one could recharge 18 power packs directly from the ship's power, no less. I mean, this could prove invaluable to a crew that's in too big of a hurry to stock up or who maybe is being too secretive to risk their faces being seen. Um, So, I mean, hey, you know, for players or GMs who tick every single power pack charge, you know, and, and monitor it closely, this item is more than worth its price tag. And you know, for just a kilo, if you can just strap it on your back along with the, along with your power packs, if you're a you know a heavy weapon specialist, you know, or, or you know like an auto fire user, um, it can really, really, really make things worthwhile. That's right, guys. Strap one so, on today. Strap one on. We like strapping things on here. So it's the power charger, power recharger. Go pick it up. Wado will be happy. Tell him I sent you, and he'll mock you relentlessly. See <laughs> his. <Hey. Yes. sighs> Well, speaking of relentless mocking uh, and uh, the denizens of Tatooine, we want to move on now to our main focus of this week's episode, which is a pretty cool prestige class that I really didn't give much thought to until I guess the past month or so, um, where I really started to see its use in some games I've been involved in. And it is the Crime Lord. Um, you hadn't seen d- done too much with this prestige class, David. I know that you took a really good hard look at it, and we saw it at a game together recently. Um, I mean, you seem to have developed some interesting opinions about the prestige class. Um, I mean, do, do, you know, what, what do you think about it? Well, I like
3: it. Um, I I I don't know. I do like it. I think that I think we we sat down, came up with a build that we affectionately titled "I'm
1: Batman." I'm Batman, and we're going to be talking about it, because That's it's right. pretty freaky cool.
3: Yeah, we will. It, it's 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 uber-powerful. It is. Um, it can be. I, I take it back. It can be, with some it, of it the talents be. that are available. Um,
1: it's just... I don't know. I'm it, not well, sure if I'm going to be... It's a odd prestige class, yeah. man. I mean, not it's sure. very odd for lots of reasons. I mean... Its mechanical structure, I mean, it breaks from every yeah. single other prestige class in the book. And secondly, because, I mean, so much of its available options are mostly role playing. Very based. RP, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's really cool, and that's one of the reasons I dig it so much. But, I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what rocks, what sucks, and, and how to use this prestige class well, and how to use it too well.
3: One might say the good, the bad, and the boba.
1: And the boba, yes. How to use it far too well. Well, let's talk about gaining entrance, um, in terms of just the basic prereqs of the class. Um, f- of course, you got to have seven class levels, um, heroic or no, uh, under your belt before you become a crime lord at eighth level. Uh, so what else do you need, and more importantly, what's the best way to get there? Um, you need some trained skills, don't you, Dave? What, what, what trained skills do you need to get into this Prestige class? Oh, oh, oh. Deception and persuasion. Deception and persuasion. Uh, well... The only two classes that have access to both Deception and Persuasion on their class lists are Noble and Scoundrel. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I, I'm, I think both classes synergize quite well with the Crime Lord's abilities. And, I mean, a first, a, a, a one-level dip or a first-level dip or even a career in either class I mean, will let you train in Deception and Persuasion at first level without having to waste, um, quote-unquote, feats on, on, on skill trainings later on. So, n- not bad at all. Um, in addition, you're also are going to need one talent, um, either from the Fortune, Lineage, or Misfortune talent tree. Uh, so again, a single level in either Noble or Scoundrel. Um, of course, Lineage being from Noble and Fortune, Misfortune being from Scoundrel, they're going to cover you. Um, and what I think is really cool is that all three talent trees pretty much rock. I mean, we went into a lot more detail on them when we talked about the Noble and when we talked about the Scoundrel in some of our earlier episodes specifically. Um, but just to kind of do a quick brush over, um, in terms of the Lineage talent tree, this is. Either either not often the most taken noble talent tree, or it is the most often taken noble talent tree, depending on who you play with. Um, I mean, if you want to be the guy with the money and the connections, which I guess amazingly feels pretty right with yeah. the crime lord, um, wealth and connections, I mean, too often used and abused talents, which we, we did cover in greater depth way back in episode three, um, both fit the role of the crime lord extremely well. Um, educated and spontaneous skill—they're spiffy, but I mean, in my opinion, it's substandard compared to the other two. So, um, in terms of the scoundrel talents, um, fortune—the fortune talent tree—fool's luck and knack are disgustingly good for a skillful character to take. Um, other talents are handy, but are more combat-oriented. Fool's luck specifically can be used in conjunction with all of your persuasion checks to boost them through the roof, and as we're going to see, persuasion is kind of the key ability when it comes to the crime lord. Um, in terms of the misfortune talent tree, mostly this entire talent tree is combat-oriented, uh, with the exception, possibly, of disruptive and walk the line, which would be great for a social character. But they, I don't know, Dave. To me, they kind of have the flavor of a sort of second banana abilities, <laughs> kind support of support stuff, talents. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. The crime lord's a devastatingly effective support character, but you know, you're a crime lord. You know, from a role-playing perspective, is a crime lord ever a uh, a, Not, uh, usually. Not um, usually. How many no. times? But then again, it see... is just a label. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that as well.
3: How many times did you see Tony Soprano out there on the front line?
1: That's an excellent point. I didn't think about that. And you hit a soft spot with me, man, because I'm a Sopranos fan. Yep. Oh, you you, you hit a very, very good point there. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for that. that no problem. That nugget of wisdom. I used my eight words. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> well, um. One additional suggestion um, in terms of – it's not really related to prerequisites, but if you're going to go this route towards Crime Lord, kind of a suggested thing you may want to pick up um, is skill-focused persuasion. You are going to be one of the most effective persuaders in the game, and you might as well maximize it. No reason not to. No reason. Not at all. Well, let's move on, Dave. Uh, Shall we move on to the path of the Crime Lord? the path? The path of the Crime Lord, becoming Tony Soprano. Why not? Looking at the abilities of the Crime Lord, I mean, let's talk about him in more detail. I mean, at first level, you get your defensive bonuses. You're going to nab a cool plus two to your reflex, plus four to your will. And you'll also suffer from a poor base attack bonus, crappy hit points. But frankly, you know, direct combat is probably rarely your primary concern. You know, I think Tony Soprano, you know, didn't get into, into fisticuffs too very often. He just gave you know, the but, orders. Yeah, he just gave the orders, pretty much. And at second level, you get command cover. Uh, which is, I think, a little underrated. Um, it basically, it lets you use allies to shield yourself. So any adjacent ally you have gives you a plus one cover bonus to your reflex um, up to half your class level. Okay, yeah, so what? Well, let me tell you. I, about a month ago, played against a, a BBEG crime lord with the wealth talent, and his allies were literally a squad of five cheapo battle droids that he purchased with ease. I mean, they stayed adjacent to him at all times, and they never did anything but take the full fight defensive action. All right, so they were very difficult to hit, and he just oh, automatically got a, a plus five bonus to his reflex defense just for having them around. Um, it was pretty disgusting, yeah, uh, and it, rather well. So hey, well, let's talk talents, Dave. Um, here's where it gets a little wild, and where this is where this it gets prestige good. class, yeah, this where it gets good. This prestige class really differs from all others. Now, instead of a, a prestige class specific ability every even level. Um, and talents every odd level, the crime lord gets a talent every single level. Um, they can choose from uh, crime, from the crime lord talents, uh, specifically infamy or mastermind, those talent trees, um, or they can choose from the influence talent tree, which is uh, obviously a noble talent tree. Um, now, a note on influence, if you're wanting to make a social negotiator, um, crime lords other talents they also energize brilliantly with anything from this talent tree and we'll get into that in greater detail in a sec but bottom line it's marvelous to have the option to continue with or, or begin for the first time um, the influence talent tree so mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic well let's talk about the two talent trees that are that are crime lord specific what's the first talent tree we got Dave infamy Infamy. of which we uh, are we like what four out of the five talents here I think four out of the five are made a pure win. I mean, they're situational win, but they're, they're win nonetheless. Yep. Um, and, and three of them are kind of just kind of all one. They're just different levels. Right. Um, there's in- Inspire Fear, one, two, and three, which, um, pardon the MMO reference, uh, they pretty much, for lack of a better term, they provide cumulative debuffs um, in the form of a mind-affecting fear effect that gives your opponent's penalties to attack you, um, use skills against you, or use the force against you. However, there is a problem with it, and it's one thing that kind of bugs me, um, even though it kind of infringes on the coolness. Um, And uh, I remember you mentioned this to me, Dave, initially that I mean, Inspire Fear only works on foes that are the same level or lower than you. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I've known players that shun Inspire Fear just for that reason alone, because it's not effective all the time. So, either way, it's still pretty cool. Um, the other two talents in the tree, Notorious and Shared Notoriety, Notorious actually has both excellent combat and non-encounter uses, and I think it should be one of the first talents you pick up if you enter this class. Um, although Shared Notoriety, um, in my opinion, it, which is kind of the, the next step up, I guess, it's, it's the, 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 what you have to take after Notorious, um, in my opinion, it's strictly a role-playing component. I mean... You know, listen, Notorious is fantastic. The ability to re-roll Persuasion checks and take the best result, not just whatever you roll, that's that's freaking huge, okay? Now, Shared Notoriety, it lets your minion re-roll as well, okay? But you're going to be better rolling than them anyway. So... As a PC, since you don't control your minion when they're away, I mean, this has a little in-game aspect whatsoever. So it's great. Your minion's not around, and they can re-roll their persuasion checks. Well, who gives a crap? They're not there. And if they are there with you, why are they rolling persuasion checks? You should be the run rolling, because you can do it better than them anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it's, this is kind of my two cents on shared notoriety. But Notorious? The shizzle. Now, we kind of discovered this. Dave, you, you really... Found this early and made me a believer in persuasion back when you made your, your Wookiee Jedi soldier, like one of the first characters you ever made, yeah. uh, where I, I believed in the power of persuasion. Um, using persuasion to intimidate is one of the most underused and powerful tactics in the freaking game. All right, aside from non-encounter uses such as interrogation, it can even be used in combat to amazing effect. Um, and the presence talent from the influence talent tree, uh, which lets you persuade as a standard action, when used in conjunction with notoriety, I mean, it lets you become a persuasion machine. You're persuading it to intimidate as a standard action, and you can reroll it if it sucks, and you just take the better result. I mean, and lastly, persuasion is not an expendable resource. It's not a force power. You don't have so many you can do per encounter or per day. You can just do it, and it's the bomb. So, what's the second talent uh tree that is new with the crime lord, Dave? Mastermind. What do you think of the mastermind tree? Um, good stuff? Bad stuff? Really
3: <laughs> crappy stuff?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Well, let's let's discuss. Um, the, I, I the, first, the minion yeah? thing
3: is the minion thing is really kind of cool. Yeah. But I don't know where would I from a from a mechanic standpoint. When would I ever actually use it aside from RPing like a badass?
1: Well, then that's the key thing. It's it's RPing like a badass. I mean, let's let's talk about the minions, man. I mean, listen, you're right, man. The attraction of having your very own devoted disciple is pretty freaking cool, okay? But I mean, I'm with you, man. Bottom line, I never recommend the attract minion talent outside of role-playing purposes. Uh, several reasons. Um one, your minion is non-heroic. Ew, which means he <laughs> sucks. He sucks! So he's half as powerful as a heroic character. Lovely. He only has non-heroic levels. Yay. Um, Two, uh, you can only have one minion on the leash at a time. Uh, If you have others, they stay in storage in the kennel, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And three, when you are out walking your minion with the rest of the party... He's an XP leech. I mean, he acts as another member of the party. He takes an equal share of XP for a non-heroic character. Please give me a break. That is not worth it at all, in my opinion. Yeah. So, uh, number four, droids are cheaper. And they (laughs) They don't don't take take away XP. XP. Yep. Yep, And you can have as many of them as you want. Uh, Bottom line, uh, avoid Dominion. I mean, hey, for the GM who's... BBG Crime Lord needs his own Bib Fortuna to embitter the PCs at early levels. You know, that's what a track minion is for. You know, uh, I mean, Winnie you, wonga Hey, Winnie wonga No-cha. Uh, you know, that, that's what it's for. You know, it's kind of cool. And you know what? If you want to take it for the role-playing aspect, fine. You certainly have enough talents to waste. But, eh, for, from, a, from a mechanical standpoint, Dave, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Well, Let's move on to... Ooh, well, let's move on to this nugget of joy impel ally let's talk about impel ally and you or also titled why you should love the best freaking support talent in the fracking game um impel ally one and two there's 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 two versions like one's a prereq um if you've climbed the noble support ladder to get to this point this is about as clear a continuation as you can get and and considering all the support talents of the noble very few are as badass as these two crime lord talents Spend a swift action to grant an ally an immediate free movement. Not a move action, but a movement. Alright? Not even on his turn. And you could which means on your turn you could grant three allies immediate moves. Just for the hell of it. Even when it's not their turn. And it doesn't change their order in the initiative. With Impel Ally two, you can spend two of your swift actions to give an ally a free immediate standard or move action. Okay? I mean the uses for this are are unlimited. I mean, from saving the hide of a party member to allowing the beat stick to have another hit, I mean your party will love you uh love you, and if you do walk the path of the minion or or droid control, um you can be a pseudo puppet master i mean even that much more effectively, you know kind of you know, telling people encouraging them you know there's a lot of good role playing aspect to be had there, but anyway yeah i i freaking love love those two talents and i I think they're they're excellent choices. What do you think Dave?
3: I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no you're watching, i, I man. you're up to 14 no, words I, I, <laughs> yeah i know I'm, I'm distracted still but no 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 i i i enjoy the and i was going to say something earlier and i just it slipped my mind but you know the whole thing about the minion and you know getting there's something to be said for having five droids around you and taking that <laughs> plus five reflex i mean that's more important to me than anything else as a crime yeah. lord you know so yeah. i yes I do like
1: this, it. This seems to fit in with that
3: pretty right. well. Right, and the impel Ally thing, I mean, it's just, it's just the bomb diggity.
1: It's pretty freaking cool, yeah. Um, so, if, and you know what, if you've gone the noble route to get here, and you, you're making that support character who's, who's buffing his allies anyway, mm-hmm. this is, the, this is the, the cherry on top of the sundae. Very it cool. It
3: is the cherry on top of the sundae. And I, and I did enjoy your use of the word frack.
1: Oh don't bring, get me started on my uh, bringing me into my, the my like Battle second Star favorite Gal- show of all time, yeah.
3: Oh I love Battlestar Galactica, dude. I'm yeah. I'm still a little miffed that Starbucks a girl, but at least she's hot.
1: I'm not miffed. That was awesome. I thought it was just fantastic. Oh, no, there's something to be said about Starbuck with
3: his freaking cigar and you know
1: You can't smoke on TV anymore, David. I,
3: I I I know. I know, but still that was the old and Boomer. Okay. Boomer is now a woman. All right. Dang it. He was the token black guy on the show. Yeah, and now,
1: uh, well, now we live in an age where we don't need tokens anymore.
3: I take See? that back. I take See? that. I take that back because they did have um, Colonel Colonel Ty.
1: They did have Colonel Ty.
3: Yeah, yes. who's now a white guy, old yeah. white guy, old white guy. And yeah. at the end of the second period, your Dallas Stars ahead one to nothing, but now being outshot
1: by San Jose, nineteen to sixteen. Well, that's fantastic. If only San Jose had aspects of the Force. Maybe they could guide their pucks more precisely. That's true. And I kind of want to move to a discussion of the Force in relation to the Crime Lord. That's right. The Force. Oh, boy, that was such a smooth segue. Woo-hoo. Hey, man, I'm talented. What can I say? Wow. Um, So some of you, you know, question. Okay, the Force. The Force and the Crime Lord, huh? Um, Let me tell you why the Force should mean a great deal to any PC who flips to the Crime Lord pages. Um, I got a, a PM uh, from Outlaw Night Zero, OKZ, um, some time ago. And he brought this to my attention. And I thought it was really quirky at the time. And then I finally saw it in play. All right. The crime lord gets a talent every level. Right, Dave? Right. A force-sensitive character may always choose to take a force talent instead of a class talent. There comes right, Batman. Dave? Yep. This means, yes, younglings, yes, that a force-sensitive crime lord could be taking force talents every single level per raw legally. The implications for that are huge. Humongous. Humongous. And the potential is for a character with more Force talents than anybody else, even a 20-level Jedi. Um, However, uh, the Force talents don't often, with a few notable exceptions, compare to the Jedi talents or the other Force using Prestige-class talents, but still! Bam! (laughs) It's there! There's some wicked talents there. Um... Furthermore, if you are going that Force route, I'd like to take a moment to talk about Adept Negotiator, Mm -hmm. which is one of the talents um, in the Jedi class. If you do make a Force-sensitive character and you're willing to dip a level of Jedi, pick up Adept Negotiator, um, which is from the Consular Talent tree. You can make persuasion checks to move a foe down the condition track. Two steps down if you pick up Master Negotiator. And considering that as a crime lord, you're going to be the best... Persuader in the freaking party, most likely the freaking game, this is too good to pass up. What you can do is basically make a check that you can not only re-roll if you take the right talents and take the better of the results, but it can potentially move a foe two steps down the condition track. That's insane. Um, also, if you've got low intelligence, you want to make a Force-sensitive Crime Lord, you want everything to key off of one skill, make that skill use the Force, pick up Force Persuasion, also in the Consular talent. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, th- This way you don't need to double up on skill focus as well. So, yeah, listen, consider the force. If you're going this prestige class, think about it, look at it. You can make wonderfully broke tastic characters or some incredibly good chock full of role-playing characters with it. And if you're a GM, that may be something you want to consider nerfing. (laughs) Potentially. (laughs) Well, Dave, I want to get on to a cool build that we came up with that you mentioned earlier, um, which we called I Am Batman. Batman. Um, which basically, I mean, after a great deal of conversation with Dave um, and on the forums uh, with a poster um, G dot bat about a planned character. He had this idea kind of crept up and I really sat down and hash it out with Dave. It really occurred to us that the, the crime Lords inspire fear talents with a dash of goodness from the influence talent tree would allow him to potentially separate from the support slash command rule and really make for a fearsome fighter. And so we want to talk about that. Um, that would kind of start with the weakened Resolve talent. Now, I loved this Noble talent when I first read it. I only had one problem with it. When, honestly, does a Noble do enough damage to get over a foe's damage threshold? Yeah. I mean, the gist of the talent is when you make an attack that beats the opponent's damage threshold, you, you get to make a Persuasion check as a free action versus their will defense. And if you win, the target runs away from you screaming like a ninny. Um, you know, I mean, this is a great way to take an opponent out of the fight, if you ask me. So we started thinking about it and we came up with this okay so, so it occurs to me that bruce wayne possibly one of my favorite comic book characters of all time not so much batman but bruce wayne <laughs> is a multi classed noble soldier crime lord really hear me out on this um a few levels in noble to pick up a uh, pick up a lineage talent now for bruce wealth makes the obvious sense you know uh training and persuasion and deception and a nab of weakened resolve Now you follow that up with levels in Soldier to include such talents as Devastating Attack and Stunning Strike, and increase your base attack bonus and hit points drastically. And then you enter the Crime Lord prestige class, where you pick up Notoriety and Inspire Fear, and suddenly you've got a really scary melee fighter that inspires debuffing fear in enemies weaker than him, and who can easily strike a foe down the condition track, then immediately intimidate them to run the hell away. Uh, His very name strikes fear in the hearts of others. Um, go first level in Scoundrel, then Noble Soldier Crime Lord, and he can train in stealth and mechanics, as well as use computer as well. And then you honestly have Batman. Um, look, the point of this is that the uses for this prestige class are myriad, and they shouldn't just be limited to a support character, and they shouldn't just be limited to crime. Which kind of brings us to the end of this discussion, where we want to talk about a crime lord by any other name. The greatest criticism that I've heard about this prestige class is that a PC taking it wouldn't be able to associate with pure and good Jedis or other morally righteous characters, and that the the lifestyle of crime simply isn't enjoyable for some players and characters. What do you think of that, Dave? Horse hockey. Horse hockey. It's all in how you play your character. Yeah, to bring up hockey, didn't you? I agree, man. I mean, we, we we talked about this before. It's all about how you play your character, and the labels bug me. Now we've we mentioned in a prior cast the frustrations that the Jedi class was called Jedi. Um, you know, it should have been labeled lightsaber wielding dude, basically. I mean, there's <laughs> Sith Lords with levels of Jedi that doesn't make them Jedi. It's just a class label. Um, you know, in you know Jedi's case, dedicated to mastery of the Force and use of the lightsabers, and the name has unfortunately linked that class with being a Jedi and following the Jedi code. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but like we said, you know, Sith lords have levels in Jedi. I mean, I think much of that same principle needs to apply to the crime lord. Having levels in the crime lord doesn't necessarily make you a crime lord. You know, maybe you're a savvy resistance leader, you know, helping to overthrow the empire, you know, maybe you're an industrial magnate or a spy, an information liaison for the republic, or maybe just maybe you are Batman. Incarnate
3: Yep Food for thought Gamer Nation Food for thought And you said it earlier You said it earlier Does Bruce Wayne When you look at Bruce Wayne Comic book hero Movie icon Whatever Does he strike you As a crime lord He may have levels In crime lord But he is not A crime lord no, so no, but I mean, consider, the, the man studies
1: crime intensely. I mean, right. it makes perfect sense for him to have levels in Crime Lord. Know he, knows, he knows the Underworld's in and outs. He understands it specifically, yeah, so he can spend his life fighting it. Someone on the board suggested the idea that, you know, it was ridiculous. To, someone said, yo, man, a Jedi would never go into this, you know. I mean, ha-ha. Well... Not Why true. not? Someone on yeah. the board said, said, "You know, if you de- depending on the right era, you know this could be a Jedi that really is taking that role of vindicator. You know, yeah. vengeful. You know, I mean, Batman. I yeah. think that's really freaking cool." I mean, I'm I'm
3: planning out a Zabrak scout that is going to take a level in Jedi and ultimately go the way of the bounty hunter, but he is not going to run around carrying a lightsaber. You know, just because you carry a saber <laughs> doesn't mean that you're uh you know, or just because you're a Jedi doesn't mean you have to run around carrying a saber.
1: Yeah, we're following the Jedi Code. Is it a sword? It's a sword. So, leave the labels behind, and uh, this class, Prestige Class, is a perfect example of it. So, plenty of food for thought. Plenty of food for thought. That's right. That's right. Well, Dave, I think it's time, sir, to move on to our D20 Docking Bay, and um, I think this would would precipitate a a phone call, would it not?
3: It would. It would precipitate a call to TK420UNO. Hello. 42, no. hello. TK421, are you at your post? I have a bad feeling about this. TK421, are you at your post? That's strange. No. No. What a punk ass. Okay. I guess well, we're hey just gonna. Girls, how the hell you hoes are doing? Woo! See, I was about to go oh, on oh, with man. the show without you.
2: I'm sorry, man. I barely made it here, man. Oh, we just got out of a firefight. It's been crazy here, son. Crazy.
3: And where are we today?
2: Um, well, I, I can't, well. All, all right, we're we're on a planet on the outer rim. I really can't talk about where it is. Okay. Well, uh, we came here looking for looking for somebody, kind of kind of to bring him in. The Emperor, he wanted to ask him some questions, you know, some some questions of the of the important kind. And and
3: well, he, well, he, he's a Jedi. Oh. I see. Well, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a hard time apprehending him.
2: Well, we didn't do much good with it already, man. We we found him. I mean, he was kind of living in a little bitty hut. He was just sitting there, staring at the sky with his eyes closed and whatnot, had his hands crossed. He didn't even have one of them fancy laser swords out, son. We figured he'd be easy pickings.
3: Right. But but he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He pulled out a green lightsaber and whooped up your ass, didn't he?
2: No, he didn't use a lightsaber at all, son. That's what was so creepy about it. He stood up and he stared at us with these eyes, man. They was just piercing, and he looked right into us all. And he just started talking, talking about how we was gonna lose and how we never shoulda come here and and all these other but horrible things. He just made me so scared I couldn't believe it. Uh, and we finally, he, he, he just talked to us for so long. We
3: just, we just put our weapons down and he just walked away. I'm so ashamed. Never mind. Okay, now I know who you're talking about. And yeah, indeed. Yep. He's a he's a fairly uh, adept negotiator. Wouldn't that be a proper term for him?
2: I guess, man. But, oh, I can't believe I'm telling y'all this. Man. P- please please don't tell the Emperor or nobody what we did. I feel so
3: ashamed about it. Of course we won't. You know us Thanks. better than that, man. You're a part of the show. We're brethren. Uh, you, you guys are getting me all choked up. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Come on, man. You're a stormtrooper, dude. I, I know. I know. I wear
2: the white. And I I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, hozers. I'm gonna go uh, do something manly, and uh, and uh,
3: you know, I, I'll talk to you guys later. All right, dude. Later, Hosers. Later, oh my man. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah. Interesting indeed.
1: Interesting, uh, and I think his uh, experience should segue us brilliantly into the D20 docking
3: bay. I have a feeling. It will.
1: A bad feeling.
3: <laughs> there you go again. D20
2: docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it.
1: Yeah. I do love that music, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, today's D20 Docking Bay is brought to you by Clacky, who is one of the posters on our forums. And uh, we're really stepping out of request order on the D20 Docking Bay request forums for just a bit, because this request fit far too well with our discussion of Crime Lord and the Power of Persuasion. We just had to cover it. So, apologize to those who had their D20 Docking Bay suggestions before Clacky's, but we're exercising creative license, so to speak. And That's if right. you guys have any things you want to suggest for the D20 docking bay, you can do so on the forums at d20radio.com/forum, where we have a thread specifically devoted to D20 docking bay suggestions. Well, Clacky had a question about adept negotiator. And in his words, uh he says, "Do the effects end when you start combat?" It says if the target reaches the end of the track, it doesn't fall unconscious. Instead, It cannot attack you or your allies for the remainder of the encounter unless one of your allies attacks it or one of its allies first. So, does the target go back to negative 10 on the condition track if you attack it? I don't get what this is supposed to be doing in game terms. My original thought was it was supposed to be like a help with social roles. Or reduce a will defense so you can make someone friendlier, like something a negotiator would do. But as raw, you could do this in combat, which seems pretty powerful. So, in the middle of a shootout, would you be yelling at your opponent, telling him it's not in his best interest to shoot? That doesn't seem like negotiation to me thoughts on this okay well clacky let's start by understanding an adept negotiator all right now this is another instance where I think the wording of the talent title is a little misleading okay now if you consider the text of the talent I think it's clear that it's actually designed to be used in combat the text refers to your enemy not target when it references its use and it also talks about using it in an encounter Um, I mean in the wording but I mean let's be frank this is a really weird talent so I mean let's try to understand it in greater detail you're basically weakening an enemy's resolve. Um, Maybe you're intimidating them, maybe you're guilting them out, maybe you're making a convincing case that they'll lose. I mean, any fluff you roll with though, I mean, you're making persuasion versus will, all right? Now, if you succeed, it moves the enemy one step down the condition track, two if you have the master negotiator talent. Now, steps down the condition track are cumulative, regardless of the source, but if a target reaches the bottom of the condition track after being subject to this, he doesn't fall unconscious. He simply surrenders, he won't fight unless he's attacked. Now, you can use this ability as often as you want, um, and that was clarified by Raving Dork's FAQ, which is located on their Wizards forums at Gleemax. So, when they're five steps down the condition track, they move from minus 10 on the CT to having no penalties at all, at the bottom of the condition track, but instead of going unconscious, they just don't fight. They, they drop their weapons and they surrender. But if they're attacked, they'll fight back, thusly moving a step up the condition track back to minus 10. Yeah, it is weird. More weirdness, per Raw, You could use this outside of combat to lower an enemy's will defense before persuading. But considering the words enemy, I'd be real hard pressed as a GM to allow the use of this on like a friendly merchant or a diplomat, basically. So repercussions. Okay, this question actually comes up a lot, so let's delve real deeper here. So I can adept negotiate an enemy to 10 on the condition track and what, then just shoot him for easy damage over his now modified damage threshold and get an easy kill, right? Sure. In fact, this would be a devastatingly effective tactic. But depending on the character you're playing and what kind of adept negotiation you're doing, if the party Jedi has adeptly negotiated a foe down the condition track by demanding he surrender and then he chops him up with his lightsaber, that's probably a <laughs> DSP waiting to happen, wouldn't you say? Yep. Um, if a depth negotiator has the foe all the way to the bottom of the condition track and he's surrendered and then the party tries to kill him, I mean, that's that's really definitely a DSP in my book. Pretty damn sure. Um, Now, if you're an honest-to-goodness crime lord, emphasis on the crime, you probably don't care about DSPs. And yes, to answer your question, this is a devastatingly effective tactic. So per RAW, you can use it in combat, you can use it outside of combat. But keep in mind that steps down the condition track are cumulative, whether they come from this or no. So uh, technically, as you brought up in the ruling, if a target's attacked, it kind of goes away. Is that, okay, so if he's attacked after he's surrendered, if he's attacked at all, you can't use this talent. Per the wording, I would say that once you have him to the bottom of the condition track, and he's surrendered, at that point, if he's attacked, he would then move a step up the condition track to minus 10 and continue to attack you guys normally. So, that's kind of where I would go. Um... That's pretty much my two cents and my explanation of that. If you disagree or you want to add some more to the discussion, please do so at the forums at d20radio.com slash forum. Email me at gmchris at d20radio.com or my cohort, gmdave at d20radio.com. Call the loser line at 206-600-5872. Call us Poojus. Call us punks. Call us unprepared. Just don't call us late for dinner. Where did that come from? I, I
3: have that. no idea. Have
1: you been hanging out with TK? Maybe so. You scare me, man. That that man scares me. If you start hanging out with him, I'm, I'm going to have to start, you know, yeah, not hanging out with you so terribly much anymore. I don't hang like, out with anyone. Like one God. of those smelly gamers that comes to your table. You know, you just don't want him there.
3: You just don't want him there
1: because of they the odoriferous pay. emanations. <laughs> odoriferous emanations, yes. Indeed. But uh, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. So thank you guys for tuning in. And um, if you have any questions or, or any suggestions for next week's show, please let us know, and uh, we will get on it. And with that, I wish you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them
3: dice a rolling. Stars roll. still up
1: one to nothing third period. <laughs> Can't wait to finish show. Hey, guys. Well, I just wanted to say that I never listened to the Order 66 podcast, but if I did, I'd want to tear GM Dave apart
3: and his little friend GM Chris, too roar and guys (laughs) happy star wars day may the force be with you
1: hey it is star wars day today i forgot about that that's disturbing i don't want to know who sent that but
3: that was very that was very not pc and we'd like to apologize to no one because it was kind of funny was pretty damn funny yep all right we're out for real this time (laughs) this is
1: dm tim and dm jackson of radio free homlet and we never listen to (laughs) the order 66 podcast
2: D20 Radio, where gamers roll
3: Cue the darkness music. San Jose just scored one to one.